Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. There are countless people for many decades who've said these five words, thank God for the salvos. Well, now there's another reason with Salvos Legal. It's a not-for-profit, self-sustainable commercial law firm providing a wide range of legal services and the money it earns goes to fund free legal help for the disadvantaged and marginalised. You just need to imagine the distressing place you'd be in, needing help with the law or the courts that's so intimidating, with no hope at all of being able to afford it. This is definitely good news. So to take a look at what it does and why, Luke Geary, Salvos Legal's managing partner, joins us together with Belinda, one of the people the Salvos have helped here. Luke and Belinda, welcome to Open House. Thanks, Lee. Thank you. Great to see you. Luke, tell us about your own legal background first. Um, I've been a lawyer now for about 10 years. I started practice in a commercial law firm and uh, worked in commercial law mainly in building and construction litigation for a long time, or a little bit before 2005. A couple of salvos came and had dinner with me who were friends of my flatmate at the time, and they said they had a lady at their church in Auburn who needed a lawyer and uh, was unable to get legal aid. Uh, I grew up a Catholic, had gone to a Catholic church all my life, and wasn't sure about the timbrels and the, the singing and the, the waving of hands and all, all of those sorts of things, but uh, it didn't scare me too much. And uh, I left the church that day, and before I could leave, someone else tapped me on the shoulder and said, could you take on another case? And uh, I did that a few times for the salvos, and then uh, I got a little bit closer to the church there in Auburn and decided that was a little bit more, uh, I guess, personal for me, a, a greater way for me to explore my faith and to, to practice my faith. Uh, and I said to myself, look, in a couple of years' time, when I'm a little bit steadier on my feet as a lawyer, I'll I'll open a free clinic for the Salvos. And we did that in 2005, and uh, I ran it on the side of my commercial practice for a number of years. And then uh, in 2009, when I was a partner of a commercial firm, uh, the Salvos made me an offer, that is, to do this nationally for them or uh, continue in my commercial practice. And there's not too many occasions you get to sort of reinvent legal aid. So No. In fact, the Salvos Commissioner has described this as the most exciting development in the 130 years of the Salvos. It's, uh, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool to be able to be involved in this sort of work, but to have an armoury of other social and pastoral services um, at your disposal. So, yeah. you know, we get clients who are in uh, police matters, for example, who have got drug or alcohol issues, well, we can immediately engage them with drug and alcohol counselling. They can undertake a, a committed period of residential recovery. Uh, we've got welfare counsellors who can help clients who are really on the, or, or in fact below the breadline. We've got homelessness services that can bring people in and care for them. You know, in private legal practice, you you just don't have the flexibility at all. Keep in mind, it's two firms. There's the commercial practice, which yes. is called Salvos Legal, and the Free stuff, which is for people in need, is called Salvo's Legal Humanitarian. So this is a full fee-paying commercial firm, just like any other law firm. Exactly. We're a little bit cheaper than some of the big firms. Uh, I can happily say that because as part of the Salvation Army, we get favourable tax status. We have the ability to leverage volunteers, uh, and we're part of a massive organisation that's got efficiencies of scale. Um, But in every respect, we have lawyers who come from the big end of town who have made similar decisions as I have, to leave their partnerships and to come and do this work because they see that the the capacity in which they can help people is massive. Must do great things for your heart. It is, yeah, it's it's great. It, it makes it very easy to get up in the morning, I guess is the <laughs> easiest thing to say. Yeah. 
you know, working in private commercial practice, you're always conscious of the need to, to make money as a lawyer and to keep uh, your fellow partners' measures of profit uh, at, at an achievable level and uh, on an ongoing basis to sustain the rest of the firm. Here, though, our goal is, um, because all of our partners are simply partners in name and not actually owners of the business, because the business is in fact owned by the Salvation Army, our common goal is to see the profits of the practice fund ongoing and expanding work of the humanitarian work. And so we've gone from, uh, when I joined the Salvation Army as a a full-time employee at the beginning of 2010, I was the only one. We now have, like I said, a little over 120 uh, across those eight offices. So that's a pretty good reason to get up in the morning. Belinda, can you tell us your story of how you came in contact with Luke and this service? Initially, I had a housing matter. The Department of Housing was saying I owed them some money, $3,600, and Luke was able to get that debt dropped for me. So how did you feel confronting the department like that? I felt very alone before I had Luke. I felt like I had no rights, that I'd have to pay the money, regardless of whether I owed it or not. Scary. It was scary. Yeah. Luke? Well, the night for me that I met Belinda was a pretty memorable one. It was the first night I ever ran this service with the Salvos. It was um, back in 2005. And um, I remember sitting in the room, and Belinda was our first ever client, so I was very excited to meet her. And uh, she came into the room, and uh, I remember before we shut the door, I was sitting down at the table, and she was kind of looking over her shoulder expecting someone else to be there because um, what I later learned was a very difficult and traumatic period for Belinda as a victim of domestic violence. Being in a room with a man alone was not a pleasant experience and um, she was still in the recovery period of that domestic violence and I think from memory the damage to the unit uh, was a consequence of that uh, which clearly was not her fault. So that was an uncomfortable thing for you Belinda? Yeah, extremely uncomfortable. I guess as part of it, we had uh, a female within the room so that she could provide comfort to Belinda and we discussed the matter and then I made some representations on her behalf and we were able to work it out. But after that, Belinda and I had a a number of other meetings on other matters and over time she had a fairly complex and very emotional journey of her own that she went through. Uh, But right now um, she's in a much better place and she's done amazing for herself that I am extremely proud of her and she's in fact one of our volunteers. Yes, so you work with them now. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you do that? They've done so much for me and I like to I'd like to give back and it shows me how far I've come and and it's good to be able to help other people. Her story is not uncommon, no. my guess is. No. We see clients in the areas of crime, family and children's law, debt, housing, Centrelink and a lot of migration and refugee law. And um, constantly we see people who have these um, issues that they're faced with where organisations or entities, even government or or private entities, um, being very adamant that there is a right that they can enforce and these individuals um, come to us sort of clutching a piece of paper and not sure what to do or where to go. And um, really often for a lot of them there is no alternate advice place that they can go for. Will the expansion of this service continue? Yeah, definitely. Our our goal is to be throughout New South Wales, Queensland and the ACT to have head offices in seven regionally identified locations and branch offices in another 14 locations within the next three years. So we're, we're almost a third of the way there, but um, there's still a long way to go. Great stuff. All power to you. Is there one story that you can relate, Luke, 
that you've helped somebody that shows the power and the force of providing such a service like this? Um, there are many, but yeah, uh, there's, there's one, I guess, in particular that for me was uh, pretty profound. It was a time before I'd made the decision to come and work for the Salvos, and I think at the time I was doing a, a Bible study, The Purpose Driven Life, and uh, I was trying to see what, you know, what, what that meant for me, and I, I hadn't quite appreciated, but at the time I was involved in a case where there's a lot going on for a number of people, which was um, to later have pretty significant impact, and I'd met a lady who'd come and see me at, out at Auburn. She'd been in jail six months uh, prior to that. That night she came and seen me. And um, she was in jail for a very serious offence. She'd spent three and a half years in jail. She'd come out. She'd um, been clean of drugs for six months. She'd got herself some stable accommodation. She'd got herself a job. Uh, she'd reunited with family and strong supports. She was doing really well for herself. Um, the reason she'd come to me, though, was she'd been charged by the police for... Uh, the theft of a $7 pair of underwear. She was um, holding some papers, which if it was anyone else, I would have said, well, you'll probably get a fine, um, assuming you're guilty, of course. And she said, well, there's there's two things. One is I'm not guilty, uh, but secondly, I'm on parole, and uh, any conviction will send me back to jail full-time yeah. for another 18 months. And uh, you know, I looked at the facts of the case, and they were the, she was out shopping with her 80-year-old grandmother, it was for her birthday, and her grandmother had taken her to Westfield in Parramatta, and they'd walked around the shops all day, and Grandma said, just before the end of the day, let's pop into Best and Less. And they went in there, and they got some tea towels, and they got some bath mats, and they got a few other things. And she had Grandma on one arm, and she had these items of clothing and other bits and pieces on the other arm. They walked up to the cash register, and she paid, I think it was about $60 worth of uh, money for everything else. They walked out of the store and then they sat down on the chair just outside and just as they sat down, the security guard from the store came over to her and said, excuse me, madam, would you just stand up for a second? So she stood up and the security guard said, could you just hold out your arms, please? And she said, all right, what's this all about? As she held out her arms, a pair of underwear had fell from underneath her, her arm onto the ground and she said, oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't realise that was there. Let's just go back in and we'll sort this out right away. I've got a receipt, I've paid for all these other things, it's clearly a mistake. Um, I guess taking a look at this lady, the security guard made a bit of a judgment call and um, then he, he brought her into the store and called the police and that's what led her to come and see me. Um, I ran the case out at, at court for her because I thought, well look, this is clearly a, a justice issue. This lady's done really well for herself, she's gone through the hard steps of coming off um, very heavy drugs and making a life for herself again after coming out of jail, and this one thing threatened to jeopardise everything. And uh, we went to court, and it was going really well, and then uh, just before lunch she said to the magistrate, just as she was finishing her evidence, I wouldn't steal anything, I'm not a thief, I didn't do it. Now for anyone uh, who's a lawyer, they understand that's kind of the worst thing you can say, because it immediately calls into question your criminal record. And the prosecutor's looked at me and they sort of um, rubbed their hands together knowing that when they came back from lunch they'd get a really good go at this lady's criminal record which clearly had issues of theft and dishonesty and those types of offences. You know, we came back after lunch at court and um, they had a field day with her and she was found guilty. I didn't even get the chance to call the grandma as a witness. The magistrate found her guilty then and there. Anyway, the, the train trip back from Parramatta to the city that day was probably one of the worst moments of my career, feeling like just absolute rubbish that there was nothing I could do to help this lady 
and I thought it was a certainty that she was going to go to jail. Uh, about two weeks later, we went back to court, and uh, I don't know how it happened. It, I, I still think it's a miracle. Um, we were able to keep this lady out of jail. We got a, a very nominal uh, sentence, and the parole wasn't called up. Anyway, that was a, a point, I guess, of very high emotion, uh, down and then up, and I thought, great, well, this is, to some extent, what it's all about. This is why we're here, and we're doing the right thing. And I thought that was, you know, this is why I was doing the purpose-driven life. I thought, okay, well, that's kind of what it was all about. And I thought I'd learned my lesson, and that's what I've been shown. Um, about two weeks later after that, her uncle, who was in jail, was um, sexually abused. As a result of that, he committed suicide in jail. She was very close to her uncle, and um, very shortly after that, she committed suicide herself. It was a pretty um, distressing time for a lot of people, and uh, in the, I guess, wash-up of her death and before she was buried, um, there was a huge uh, fight between her family members who um, wanted to see her cremated, and her partner, whom she'd been living with for some time, who swore that it was her wish to be buried. And I mediated the dispute there, and it was a very ugly time because she had you know, no actual uh, ongoing connection with her family members who were treated her very badly over the years. After that dispute was mediated and she was laid to rest, um, I thought, again, that's why I was involved in this, and that's, I guess, my purpose. So it was shown to me that that's what it was all about. Uh, but it wasn't quite the end. Still. Um, the young guy who was her partner um, started calling me fairly regularly as he got into trouble with the law. He was um, someone who I hadn't paid much attention to prior to the, the, the lady's death, and I remembered that he was a guy who was at court one day with one of those silver emergency blankets on him as he was coming down um, with hot sweats and you know clearly suffering the effects of drugs that he'd sworn that he hadn't taken. Yeah. And so he started to be my client for what ended up being about three years. Um, serious cases and less serious cases. Um, we acted um, for him for free and uh, over that time started to sew into him and to be able to see him come out of his own situations of difficulty and we, we, we ended up seeing him start to do really well for himself, starting to get back on track. Um, and then he had one final matter with the police where he was clearly guilty of an offence and it was a serious offence that threatened to send him to jail and uh, would have been well within the magistrate's rights to do that and uh, well within the, the standards and the guidelines of the law to do that. And just as she was about to sentence him, she calls the three security officers, the sheriff's officers, into the court. And as I'm watching this, I realise, well, she's only got one exit plan for him and that's down into the cells. And uh, just as the sheriffs are coming into court, I leapt to my feet and made one last impassioned plea for him. Uh, and I said to the magistrate, give me, give me six months with this guy. And I, I'm appearing for a free law firm. I run for the Salvation Army. Give me six months with this guy to just show your honour that there is something that can be done for him. We've seen some positive steps for him, and I know that he can do better. And uh, I said, look, Your Honour, let me confirm with him that he's prepared to go into a full-time residential drug rehabilitation. And she let me speak to him, and he said yes. And I said, look, I can arrange that immediately. Through the salvos? Through the salvos. And I'd made some inquiries prior to that day already, and the salvos had clearly said, we'll take him if he's ready to go. 
and for him, he was, uh, I guess, up until that point, a little still hopeful that he wouldn't need that, and uh, obviously the magistrate's decision gave him the push that he needed. And so the magistrate said, all right, I'll give you six months, but come and see me in three months and we'll see how he's going. Anyway, so we got to leave court that day on our feet still. Great stuff. Uh, He went straight into drug rehabilitation through William Booth House, the Salvation Army's dedicated residential drug rehabilitation program. Three months later, I came back to the court with this gentleman with me, uh, and I said, Your Honour, we're back. We're halfway through that six-month period, but probably going to need a little bit more time. Let's make it 12 months, but I'll come back at three-month intervals. Um, And the magistrate saw that visibly he was doing much better. You know, it was slightly a better appearance than the one who had stood before his three months before. Anyway, three months later, we came back again, and by that point, he'd done a substantial period of his drug rehabilitation. He'd uh, started to go back and study uh, certain TAFE courses that helped him really start to appreciate, well, if he's going to do anything with his life, he needs to start to get his education back on track. He'd started to make contact again with his mother and with um, his young son, who his mother was looking after. And we came back again to the court at nine months, and I said, Your Honour, take a look at him. He's still doing really well. Just give me one more three-month period and we'll come back and Your Honour um, will then have someone who, if you still want to send him to jail, I won't say anything out against it. And she she did. She let me come back three months later. And I remember at the last day of sentence for this guy, after the, the four three-month interval periods, so it was 12 months after that day that she'd called him in with the three sheriff's officers. And we looked at um, him and I said, Your Honour, I just want to show one one piece of evidence that I just want to tender on this last sentence and it was the photo from when he was originally arrested and uh, visibly it was a different person it was someone who had you know clearly been the person to send to jail all those months beforehand but now was in a much better state of their life because that magistrate had um, had a little bit of faith that uh, with a bit of guidance and a bit of commitment that this guy might um, be able to come out of it and uh, you know she took a moment. She had a, a, clearly a, a very um, deep think about the matter, and uh, I recall seeing wipe down, come down her cheek, a tear in the middle of court. And, uh, you know, for me, who'd started this journey with him and before him, his partner who had died, it was a case that, even though throughout the course of it for acting for him, I think he'd sacked me on three or four occasions, <laughs> and he wasn't even paying me. Um, you know, throughout that saga, I, I, I'd sort of justified to myself the reason to stick with him was because of his partner, and that that's why I was there, and that's why he'd been introduced to my life. Um, I think the magistrate clearly had uh, a similar moment where she realised that part of uh, her purpose was to see people like this come out the other end and, you know, end that what was obviously going to be a cycle for him into destruction. You'd hope that's what our justice system is about at the end of the day. Yeah, and sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does work, it's it's pretty amazing. A lot of what you do is clearly above and beyond the call of duty. Um, so why? It's not above the call of the duty for the Salvation Army, yeah, I guess. good point. And um, what brought me to the Salvation Army from my um, past involvement with other churches has been... Uh, to an extent to to be uh, to be shown up by them and to to go and see uh, the church at Auburn something like ninety percent of the church uh, congregation volunteers in some capacity and uh, you know I, I felt uh, I suppose 
um, like I wasn't really doing anything when I came into that church and I felt pretty hopeless. You know, there were people who are much older than me, much, much older than me, and much, much younger than me who were doing amazing things. And for them, there is no, oh, I finish work at five o'clock. Well, I think this is pretty amazing. And I, again, I'd say, thank God for the salvos. Luke Geary, thank you so much for coming in. And Belinda, it's been a treat to meet you and hear this great story. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.